Hello all sentient beings and welcome to Transmissions Alt Mode, where we talk about all news, comics, and media related to the... On this special Alt Mode episode, we talk in depth with F.J. DeSanto, showrunner of the Netflix series Transformers War for Cybertron Siege, by asking about his Transformers roots, what the show's creative process was like, and getting into the storyline without getting into too many spoilers. We're pleased to welcome F.J. DeSanto, showrunner of the upcoming Netflix show Transformers War for Cybertron. The show is planned as a trilogy of multi-episode seasons to match the current Hasbro War for Cybertron toy lines. Part 1, Siege, will be debuting this year. He previously worked on the Transformers Combiner Wars, Titans Return, and Power of the Primes animated web series, and is now creating a brand new chapter in the Transformers mythos. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is a real, real treat to be here. Oh, it's, it's, our, it's our pleasure. We're, we're excited to talk to you. Uh, are you a longtime Transformers fan? And, and what was it about Transformers that drew you to the franchise? Yeah, I look, I, I, I start, I'm the right age, you know, for when it initially came out. And so I was, I was very much an owner of the initial wave of G1 in particular in the Marvel comics and the original, uh, G1 series, especially the 86 movie. Um, and to be quite honest, for a long time, that was my scope of Transformers. And I, I grew up a manga and anime fanatic. So I had this sort of romantic, you know, thing for what Takara Tomi were doing in Japan. Like, oh, they're different versions of characters. And this came out of Japan. And, you know, like the animation's different in the movie versus all that stuff. So, um, you know, when I got involved with the franchise, I had a lot of catching up to do in terms of, you know, where the series, the various series had gone. I only had a very casual knowledge out of Transformers, you know, uh, the continuity outside of G1. G1 I knew pretty well, just by almost a, osmosis of childhood and having the toys and, again, it being sort of imprinted into your brain at the right age. Um I, w- I wouldn't call, like I said, I wouldn't, I, I hate to say it because, you know, people attack me for it, but I wouldn't say I was the longtime fan who watched all of it, but I had a, uh, a real love of G1 when it came out and the, the stuff produced in Japan. I really, the, for me, the 86 movie was the big thing because it was like all the things I loved about anime and it was drawn beautifully and had mm-hmm. epic things like, Gal- uh, like Unicron and weird things like Galvatron. And like, even watch it now, you're sort of like, this is amazing how this got made. You know, um, yeah. So the the real it, it it combined a lot of things that I loved, which was anime, robots, uh, you know, sci-fi, and the sort of hidden world of these guys was always very very interesting to me. Awesome, yeah. I mean, I think we we're all we all grew up around the same time, and and G one was really imprinted for all of us. So yeah, we're we're right there with you. Uh, so how did you get the showrunner job for the War for Cybertron trilogy? Well, I was I, I got hired to be a writer-producer on Combiner Wars. And then um, uh, then I was off that for a bit and sort of came back towards the end of Titan's Return to replace the previous showrunner. And I so so creatively, like I didn't have much input on that. 
and so but sort of just managed the production with uh, my supervising producer is a guy named Matt Murray who's still with me and then we did um, uh, Power of the Primes and you know I sort of you know I come from a live action background you know I used to work for the executive producers of the Batman franchise and things like that like my whole sort of background is comics to film and stuff like that so I sort of got thrown into animation in a really good way. Um, so it was like, you know, I think we were talking about this before. Um, you know, the Prime Wars was like graduate school for me, like learning how to produce Transformers animation. Um, and then uh, for the for the new one, we were already we were still working on uh, Prime Wars or Power of the Prime, sorry, or Power of the Primes, and. Uh, I had met with Netflix. They had an anime group, and uh, and Hasbro really wanted to do something bigger than what we were doing with Prime Wars because they were smaller episodes. They were digital, you know, for YouTube and stuff. And then everybody, you know, Rooster Teeth, which at the time was Machinima, um, and just all sort of luckily came together. And Hasbro had already told me sort of like, hey, here's what we're doing with the War for Cybertron trilogy. And this is like two years ago, and I sort of just out of my own excitement went, well, here's what I would, I would do this and sort of pitch them a rough idea of what the three seasons could be. And, and everybody got excited about it. Um, and then I was able to, you know, I had relationships with this Polygon Pictures in Japan, the animation studio, and they were doing stuff like uh, Star Wars Rebels and they'd done Clone Wars and Godzilla animes that are on Netflix. And, and they do a lot of stuff for Netflix. So it's sort of, all the elements sort of came together really easily. I mean, it's tough. They have to go make the deals and stuff like that. But while they were doing that, I was sitting there sort of, you know, writing down, hey, what this should be. And I um, brought in a writer, a guy named George Christick, who has a lineage in animation. He was a really sharp guy. And he and I developed the sort of the, the overall story into a sort of document that before a script was written or anything was done that we presented to everybody you know hasbro rooster netflix to make sure everybody was on the same page because what i didn't want was sort of veering off, off course especially when you're dealing with a big brand and it was very important for us unlike on prime wars to really align with what was going on with the toys we wanted it to be as sort of tight-knit as possible um so we did a lot of early development that way and then the story evolves as you keep going once you start to write it but you know it was sort of a roadmap and you know that's sort of my job as a showrunner is to sort of then when the writers come in you know sort of write with them and sort of make sure it sort of stays on track and everybody's happy with it you know because it's everybody's you know when it doesn't work everybody blames you you know so it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky road but um the, the joy in it was, I think, because of Prime Wars, the relationship with Hasbro was already really good, especially dealing with the brand side, like uh, John Warden and Ben Montano in particular, guys I deal with a lot, but like the whole Transformers brand team, like very early on we sat down, I, I'd go to Rhode Island a couple of times a year and just sort of, you know, they'd sit there and say, here's, here's what it is and do these big presentations and you're sitting there going oh my god i know all this cool stuff and i can't talk about it for years like it was gonna be years like even the third chapter like i can't talk about it but like i've known about it for two years and it's like they're they're all like all those guys that has were so brilliant with how they 
figure all that out. Sorry, I rambled on that, but you get the idea how I got involved with it. Yeah, awesome. So what is the main theme for the story you're telling in War for Cybertron Siege? Well, Siege is, you know, Siege is a war story. It's a, But we sort of tried to be smart about it. You know, it's like Hasbro's really good at sort of when they were presenting to me, like sort of the themes of the toy line and stuff like that. And for them, it was, hey, this is Band of Brothers. It's Dunkirk. It's It's those kinds of things about loyalty and brotherhood on both sides. And I was really fascinated by that. I was really, you know fascinated by that and and also sort of being able to exist in a pocket of transformers that hasn't been really explored yet you know what i mean like so so we had a lot of fresh terrain to sort of play in um and they and that like i said they had certain parameters it was but i mean in a good way like the the way i always say it is i'd rather know from hasbro the parameters of the sandbox versus running around the beach aimlessly and just sort of doing whatever. Um, so they were really good. Like it's, you know, these are our core characters on both sides. These are supporting characters and, you know, and these are the themes. So with Siege, you know, I, I think this is all public. It's the last day of the wars. So it's like literally the final hour. So, so it's not an origin. It's not, how did the war start? You know, that's, I think some of that's been explored, especially in the IDW books, stuff like that. This is sort of like, what is that final day that ends the war? Okay. And that doesn't mean the end of the war is a good thing, you know, because we have two more chapters after that. Um, so, you know, it's not dancing in the Ewok village at the end of Return of the Jedi. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 but it's also about the relationships of these people. You know, like we, we really sat there and focused on, on these characters and try to present them in a way where there's three dimensional as possible. So, you know, this is a little spoilerish, but, you know, in some cases, especially on the Autobot side, you're going to hear about who these people were before the war, you know, like, you know, not everybody wants to be a soldier. Not everybody wants to be in conflict. And then, by the way, that's on both sides. You know, because you're dealing with these two characters, you know, everything, look, everything with Transformers starts with Optimus and Megatron. And what is that conflict between the two of them? And it was great 35 years ago when it was, I just want to kill Optimus Prime and blow up the Autobots, right? How do you do that in a contemporary way where there's a thought behind what Megatron wants to do? Like, how do you make him... How do you sit there and sort of go, he could be right. You know what I mean? Like, and Optimus isn't exactly perfect, you know? And when I say not perfect, it doesn't mean he's evil and slaps his guys around and is a dictator. It's how does he learn? How does he grow? And, you know, and I think that was the real interesting challenge was sort of, we know where those characters are going to end up in G1. How do we get them to a point that's an interesting arc and interesting sort of not just through, through Optimus and, and Megatron, but also through those supporting characters. How do, we, how do we learn about those two guys from them and then learn about them also? And I, I've said this a couple of times, but, you know, we sort of, I always loved Star Trek going growing up, the original Star Trek. But what I loved about those movies was always, they always gave those, the supporting characters their moments. 
And they also always served a purpose to the overall story, especially when you get into like Star Trek four and all that stuff where the time travel, everybody serves a purpose. So we sort of took that dynamic and applied it here. Like what does Bumblebee do? What does Alita do? What is, you know, um, Starscream and Jetfire and, and um, Shockwave, like what are their purposes in this world as opposed to just cool looking things that can transform? So a lot of depth went into that and Siege, what Hasbro started us with, you know, with that idea of Band of Brothers, Dunkirk, et cetera, really allowed us to sit there and, and build an interesting dynamic for all of them. Cool. That's really cool. So I'm, I'm- I'm guessing the end of the war doesn't necessarily mean uh, any kind of peace comes after it. Never, never. There's, there's never <laughs> conflict. There's never an end. You know, you, 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 but the it's definitely the end of this era of Cybertron's history. Well, that's what you're seeing in the across the six episodes is the sort of defining end of an era moment. You know, when we. When we meet them, this war's been going on for a long time. You know, it's it's you know, cyber. You you like you hear Ultra Magnus say it in the trailer. You know, uh, Cybertron's in ruins. You know, so it's 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 not the G one Cybertron yet. You know, which has been at least in my mental chronology is the rebuilt, the post war rebuilt Cybertron. You sort of have to sit there and think about those things and sort of retroactively do that and you know we looked at things like the beginning of bumblebee which was a really cool interpretation of cybertron and sort of you know look at it looked at g1 and sort of found those inspirations to to create this to carry on that lineage yeah that leads to my next question so how did you balance making this transformer show accessible to new viewers but also satisfying for longtime fans well, I think the, the key, the, and by the way, that was one of the first things, you know, I sort of said when we, we pitched it was how do we do that? How do we, how do we create something? And I think by sort of not making it an origin, you know what I mean? Like to sort of drop the audience in the middle of it. And there's, there's one of the things we did, I'm trying to say this without spoiling it is, there's a particular character on the Autobot side or the, on the good guy side, I should say, that is sort of our eyes and ears into it. Like from the beginning, like you're learning with him, like this is the status of the war and all that stuff. And it's a classic character. And, you know, and by doing that um, and sort of making it the time where they first meet this character, et cetera, you learn a lot from it. So it's a familiar character you can latch on to. It's like, oh, I like that character. Um, but you learn with him. So that was our way to have an open door for, uh, you know, in a, in a perfect world. You know, I looked at it like there are guys my age and older who grew up with G1 and were there for when it began who now have kids. And I'm trying to figure out how to make that a shared experience for them. So like it's it's sophisticated enough for the adults, but also fun and entertaining for the kids who watch Marvel or Star Wars, et cetera. Um, but then at the same time, be an open door for anybody. Like, hey, this could be my starting point. What I what in a perfect world, like somebody who's never seen Transformers could see this and be like, I want to see every Transformers. You know, that everybody has their different Transformers. You know, like we're, we're of a certain age group, where it's G one, 
Whereas Matt, my producer, you know, is younger than me. Beast Wars is, is his entry point into Transformers. You know, everybody's got their own version of it. Um, and I guess, you know, because they keep going back to it, G1 seems to be the definitive thing. But, you know, it, it was a real... And we have really good writers like George and Brandon Easton and, and a guy named Gavin Hignite who also writes on Cyberverse, um, where we, we, we tried to do that early on because, you know, people are going to be binging it anyway. So it's not like you have to wait a week for it. So it's almost like a cinematic approach to it, like almost like a movie approach. So the first episode deals with a lot of development. It still has action and stuff. But we focused more on the development in the early episodes. So by the time you get to the big set pieces and the big action and the, you know, the overall thrust of the story and eventually the trilogy, you're invested in these guys really early on. Like you're invested in Optimus, Megatron, you know, and people on both sides and sort of understand, you know, what this war is, what they're fighting about, what their paths are, you know, like we do explore a lot of that, you know, sort of, there are Ryan Pax references. There's a fan podcast, so I can make those, you know, like (laughs) we don't ignore that stuff. You know what I mean? Like we don't, Mm -hmm. we don't ignore their past and, um, you know, uh, and, and using that past to sort of explain who they are at this particular point, because we know where they're going to end up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did you decide on which characters got into the show? Did it did it start with Hasbro saying, here's the toy line and here's the cast you can use? Or did you propose a set of characters and then Hasbro took that and developed toys? Or No, 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 no. Did... They, 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 sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. The, um, no, go ahead. They actually showed me a brand deck, right? I don't know if I'm allowed to say these things, but they do these internal decks, you know, for company wide decks that sort of go here are the three seasons or the three chapters of of the trilogy. And each one has sort of like core characters, supporting characters, you know, et cetera. And this is really early stages and and it grows. And so we have a sense early on of who they want to use And they're pretty flexible with that, you know, in terms of like, you know, I can't do every character, you know, we we only have certain budget, you know, like I can't look, you see how many toys they put out. You you can't do all that. Right. 3D animation is expensive. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And the other big thing with this was we wanted to make them toy accurate, which takes a lot of work because the model, when you do a kind of show like this, you have to do three models, robot, transformation and vehicle so not you're not going to see that for everybody I'll, I'll leave it at that and so what happened was when we had our big sort of kickoff you know at this point the show was set up etc and we had an idea of the main sort of characters when george and i went to rhode island to have the sort of big meeting before we finished the you know initial treatment we had worked with Polygon to sort of say, based on the budget, how many of these can we have? And we basically, they went through Hasbro's entire list and sort of put it in there and said, here's all the characters, here's the amount you can reach, you know, with this robot vehicle, et cetera. And we sort of looked at it based on, especially for the supporting characters and characters below that, 
who can be redecoed. Like, oh, we can have a lot of seekers. You know what I mean? Like, that's only one model, and you can redeco, and that's that doesn't cost a lot of money. You know, or who the soldiers are going to be on both sides, things like that, right? Or um, characters have a history of redecoed kind of things, which I don't want to spoil. Um, but I actually brought that document and put it in front of John Warden and said, Warden, you go over here and you're going to pick. Like, I let him pick in terms of which was going to be what and which was more important. And it's not like, and so I took that and went and did it. And of course, things change a little bit during it. And then there's one or two characters as the story develop where I, I would say, all right, we'll switch that. We don't need this character. I want to do this one. Um, there's a few uh, in Siege that were characters, um, you know, when we were writing the show, we said, oh, we need this character. Or we need something like this. And went back to Hasbro and said, listen, I want to use these characters. And they were always really cool with it because they understood. Again, that was the advantage of doing this sort of story outline really early was you could explain it to them, like you could show them how the character was going to be used within the story and you weren't sort of messing with um, the the trilogy, you know, the, the what they were doing with the trilogy, the, the toy line. Um, and we had already agreed on the majority of the main characters. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's always going to be Megatron and Optimus. And, you know, like Alita was the one that sort of evolved from those conversations. She wasn't part of the original conversation. And then we realized, oh, Alita would be great for this. And um, there's some surprise characters that I don't want to talk about yet, or I'm not allowed to talk about yet, that are in the first season, that one of which is my favorite character. And it's a minor, like, cameo thing, but I was like, mm -hmm, that's my favorite character. Someone give me the toy of that. And there's no toy. Well, there is, but it's a different line. But, um, you know, it's it... it no, no, <laughs> I can tell you that much. Um, you wouldn't guess it um, because it has a Japanese connection to it, and that's my my sort of sweet spot. But when you see it, you'll be like, "Oh, okay." Like, and Warden and I would have a joke. I'd say, "Warden, I need a redecoed character to play this role because we don't have any more. You know, we don't want to build anything that's not in the thing." And, and he would, you know, I have all these old like Japanese books, like the masterpiece books, and. and all the Takaratoni, and he'll go, well, grab that book and turn to page one. Oh, okay, great. I'm going to use this guy, right? And uh, that's how it sort of evolved. They're really, Hasbro's super trusting and collaborative. Like, you know, uh, like I said, I think we had the Prime Wars experience. There's a, there's a, you know, there are no walls between us with that kind of thing. That's awesome. Awesome. So does that mean you you got a lot of toys to you know do some storyboarding uh, with the you know to play around with <laughs> while you're? You know, I send all the toys to Japan. You know, like like I, when I when they have the toys, I ask them to send them to Japan because the team in Japan like dissects them. They don't they like they all sit there and study. Like we have we have um, the main director on the show uh, actually got his start on the '86 movie. Oh, nice. oh wow! So, like he has a whole a, history of this, right? Memory. Yeah. So in Japan, they put out those um, yearly sort of annual books that mm -hmm. sort of are like the summary of here are the toys that all came out in the last year and what's coming out, yeah. right? So and they did like a thirty. They did it earlier. I think at the end of last year, they did like a thirty-fifth anniversary book that was sort of like the entire Takari Tomi line from 
the beginning to like I, I forget when, wow. and uh, and it's mostly all art, right? So I bought all of them, and he literally there's all this like concept character art in the back, like from the movies and the later stuff, especially like um, stuff like Headmasters and stuff like that. And um, he would literally sit there and point like, yeah, I did that one, I did that one. <laughs> it was like, oh, it must have brought you some great memories. He's like, nah, too much line work. Directing's better. You know? <laughs> but then there's another guy at Polygon who his single job is transformations. That's it. He's like a guy who has been doing it. He started in 2D. He also worked on the original stuff. Um, he's probably like in his 60s. Um, and he sits at a, like a, like a little cubicle, not much bigger than this. Right. And it's just stacked with toys and like Gundam books and all this stuff. And he literally takes a toy and sits there and figures it out in a computer now, what the transformation should be. And he gives it to the rigging team. So you're going to see in particular, the first season, the transformations of the main characters, Optimus, Megatron in particular, Starscream um, are all toy accurate transformations. Like if you watch Optimus transform in the trailer when he goes flying into the thing and transform, that is literally physically how the toy transforms. Now, not every character does this because that's the that's the thing I'm scared about talking about. It's like, well, you know, this character didn't do that. It's like, well, also the toy wasn't ready yet because you have to understand we're ahead of the toys. So okay. you know, I'm yeah. I'm writing these things and. We're animating these before, you know, long before the toy lines are done. Right. I mean, we we saw Bumblebee in the trailer, and there's still no toy. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a Hasbro question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they, they they can't hold off a Bumblebee for too long. We know when it's coming. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't lose sleep. Yeah. That <laughs> uh, did uh, um, I know? Uh, so. One of your writers, Brandon Easton, also has done some work for IDW Comics. I don't know if you uh, or your team had any conversations with the with any of the people who worked on the IDW Comics uh, when when doing any of the the development of the show. No, the way it works is Hasbro has a, like a publishing person. You know, Brandon got hired because he was a genuine fan. He's a good writer. Like he had done the Mask books on, like his enthusiasm. Like he had so, so many great ideas for. Yeah, like he, 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 but he came in like there's some stuff, including that character that I'm talking about. That's my favorite character. Like that stemmed from an idea he came up with during this. And, um, but the I, that, Emmy. I'm sorry, Brandon won an Emmy, didn't he? Did he? He didn't tell me that. Um, <laughs> but the, the, so Hasbro has a publishing person who's, who I guess is, the liaison between everything sort of manages that. And, and to be honest, the IDW books are, are difficult to sort of fully implement into what we're doing. Cause we're doing this new sort of section and like, you know, they relaunched the thing and it's even before what we're doing. Um, but it's really on Hasbro to sort of manage the creative on that, I guess, you know, between the parties, like, you know, I don't want to mess with what they're doing. And, you know, obviously I don't want them sitting there going, well, you got to do this. Um, so it's, it's a very distant sort of relationship at the moment. The, I, we're supposed to be talking with them soon just to, you know, align on the brand continuity and all that stuff. 
some of those yeah. books are gorgeous. Um, yeah. And when you, you know, especially like they were doing like a lot of character books and stuff like that, like profiles and stuff. We, we would reference a lot of that stuff. You know, that's the tricky part is there's so many iterations of these characters over the years, you know, that we had to sort of sit there from the beginning and go, okay, who, which version of this character is this? And we sort of, you know, for the sake of our sanity, but also clarity of the storytelling is like, you know, we're sticking to our references G1. You know, it has to be because that's what the toy line is. That's what, you know, I would love to do all right. these different versions of the, the characters and stuff like that. But, you know, tonally, et cetera, we need to sort of stick to, you know, the classic iteration of it. Right. Like, and we're not pretending to do like, oh, this is Transformers as you've never seen it before. Like, it, sure, it is visually, but like, we, you have to respect the franchise or there's no point doing it. You know, what's come before, et cetera, and what works. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's crazy because that continuity is insane to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> so Starscream is not going to be a backstabber or, or he is going to be a backstabber. <laughs> You're not going to try to, you know, he's not going to just be Megatron's puppet. <laughs> oh, he's, um, you're in for a treat with Starscream in this. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. He, um, especially over the three chapters, he's got a really. Uh, it's he's classic, you know, Starscream, but with some new twists and turns. Is he going to try and backstab people? You damn right, he's going to like. <laughs> if, if, if he is he going to do it a few times. Hell yeah, he's going to do it a few times. Like, you can't not have, like, you're betraying the character if he doesn't do that, right? But the question is, who he betrays and how he does it. You know, like, that was the challenge of finding new ways to do that in a way that is consistent with the character and the, you know, as he exists in the franchise. And I think we've done a good job. And it also helps that we have um, such a good actor playing the role because, you know, what Frank does is he never forgets the core of the original G1 version, but knows how to bring some emotion to it in a very grounded and modern way that you got a guy who loves, and the other thing is he loves the franchise, you know, like 200%. So, I mean, there are times when we're talking like marketing about Starscream, like I'll text him be like, would Starscream do this? And he's like, Why? And I'm like, don't, don't ask me questions. Just <laughs> would, would he do this? You know? Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the fun part. Awesome. So were there any characters, like any characters you got to spotlight that haven't really had a chance to shine in previous Transformers media? Like, was there, were there any characters you thought, this guy's kind of obscure. He hasn't really gotten anything, any big roles. And I'm, I'm going to put him in here and give him a, you know, expand his role a little bit. The big one's Alita. Alita one. Okay. That's, that's the big sort of, hey, here's a character that hasn't really been explored. And, and you can start to see it in the trailer. Um, you know, when she says this, you know, when we sort of were doing the homework and it was sort of like she had this, you know, this romantic past with Prime was alluded to. You know, I just, we latched onto that. In sort mm -hmm. of, well, we haven't seen that, and, and you know what we for us, 
having female transformers as a big presence in this was really important. Um, yeah. So you, you're going to see, see, I can't remember who they've announced, so I'm afraid of spoiling things. Um, uh, well, Chromia has got a toy. So okay. Chromia is in it. Um, but like, you know, Chromia is really badass in it. Like she's really like badass. And, um, but Alita was sort of, to, to answer your question, Alita was sort of the main, like, how do we make this character really mean something? Um, because, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was a character that had, we had sort of kernels of information about, she appeared in some recent stuff, but was never really fully explored. So she wasn't explored enough. And we sort of did it in a way where, again, I don't know when this show's coming out. She's not, she's certainly not the damsel in distress. You see in the trailer, she's pretty handy with a weapon. Um, and I, I will say, I actually think she's smarter than Optimus and Megatron. And that's something we explore quite a bit uh, in this. So she was a big one. Um there's, I'm trying to think if he's been, he's got to be announced by now. Ratchet was another one that we thought, oh, there's some interesting, and we have a really good actor for him, a guy named Raphael Goldstein, who's great. Um, Rat, Ratchet has a big, I wouldn't say as big as like a leader, but like he's got an important role to play in it that, again, I don't think has been, explored in the in the continuity before like i think it's going to be something like even when we meet him like certain characters are surprised like oh you do this and you do that and and again when you sort of if i told you you'd be like oh that's totally in line with the character it's just like something nobody's done before with it so that was really important um you know on the decepticon side and i'll let you take this as you will jetfire um mm. starts this as a decepticon um i'm not talking really out of continuity so <laughs> his relationship with starscream is really interesting um there you go that's in the <laughs> office He's, yeah, there's a reason the toy does that there's yeah. a reason that the toy does. i just watched um, the original g1 episodes with my five-year-old yeah he's a big jetfire fan a great character he's a great character um yeah i think he's another one uh, that sort of will take you through the decepticon side of things along with starscreen um you know again we're trying to show a, a balanced side of the war you know on both sides uh and i think i think we've done a good job with that uh that, that but to your point that was really important was exploring characters in a way and enhancing all of them you know like even smaller characters will have a moment where it's like oh that's a really cool character i mean like uh mirage mirage is another one you know like somebody like that like how do you how do you make him interesting and compelling and even though he's not going to have a lot of screen time versus optimus or alita how do you make him memorable and you know also in a way where like you want somebody to sit there go you know Oh, that was my favorite character. I'm gonna go buy the toy. Like you know, that was always the intention. Not not to make, not not saying it's commercial for toys, but like to be emotionally invested in a character so much you want to buy the toy. Yeah, 
were there any uh i guess uh if you was there any transformers characters that you you didn't get to put in that you really wanted to like was there is there a character that you that for whatever reason didn't make it didn't make it in but something you really wanted to explore well yes and no because you know off the bat which characters you're going to use right so for me who loves the japanese beast wars characters like well i can't put leo convoy in this right like like right now i'm on a big kick of watching headmasters and victory and all that stuff like six shot you know like well there's no toy of that guy you know like the, so that's really that but again you have so many characters especially in siege there's so many characters that you're already struggling sort of make sure you use everybody and use it in a way that's fulfilling and, and worth the investment into the show. Um, so, and and the funny thing is I, the, the mystery character I keep talking about, you know, sort of evolved as we were writing it. And I was really, that sort of satisfied with sort of like obscure Japanese uh, character that we could put in the thing and, you know, in a new way, like nobody's expecting. Like that's the kind of stuff like, you know, in a, in a few months after you guys have seen the show, we come back and I'll tell you the whole story of, of how this all came to be. And like, what were you guys thinking with that? You know, so, well, we had this idea and it's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, the, 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 but there's no characters where it was like, Oh, I want to do this character. And they were like, no, or not that like, the big character that I wanted to put in it right away was Alita. And they, they were like, yeah, definitely do Alita. Um, and I, I feel like that's going to, she's going to be the, I hope the sort of surprise of the, of siege is Alita as nice. the emotional anchor of the whole thing. That's cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. All right. Well, uh, I guess uh, this is this this kind of tends to happen a lot in Transformers stories, but <laughs> can we assume at some point in the trilogy uh, you kill Optimus Prime? Because it seems like everyone kills Optimus Prime. <laughs> I, I can't say. I can't. I can't say who lives or dies. I can't. Uh, like that's, you know. Well, when characters yeah. do die, do they go gray? <laughs> I can't answer any of these things. I can't, I can't, you know, like it's, it's tricky, you know, like you want, I want to tell you everything, but I can't, you know, like I also want to want you all to be surprised by who lives and dies and how that all works. There's a lot of surprises in this, like, especially over the whole trilogy. I think, People are going to be really pleasantly surprised by it. Cool. So, what was what was the process for like you, you mentioned that how all the animation was done in Japan and you're writing the story. So, what was the what was the whole process like? Did you when you wrote the story, did you have to do did you do storyboarding and and writing the scripts and then send that over to Japan or how much interaction did you have back and forth with the animation studio? Well, we have a lot of lot of interaction with them so because basically everything besides the in in terms of the writing and development process the the whole thing was written developed and written here in the u.s 
And then when um, we finish the script and everybody signs off on a Netflix, Hasbro, Rooster, mm-hmm. etc., we send it to Japan, and, and they break it down. And we do weekly, you know, a couple times a week meetings if needed. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we have we have a team at Polygon who, hey, they've worked on other Transformer shows before, like Prime and Robots in Disguise, but. There, there's a genuine, and the, the, and this is one of the few experiences in my life where everybody involved with it, in a production, marketing, everything is sort of weirdly aligned with the same vision, and everybody's on the same page, and, and like we just clicked really quickly with the team in Japan. I spent a lot of time there, sort of in the room with them, uh, sort of going through it, and they did. I hope this all comes out someday. There's some beautiful concept paintings and stuff that they did. Like we did a lot of early development. Again, we had that document I keep referring to, but that was easy for me to give that to them and they could come back with questions and we could shape the scripts based on what they were telling us, you know, within budget constraints, but also creative things. And the directors and I had a really good rapport, especially the main director I was telling you about, a guy named Kame-san, where we could sit there and instinctively trust him with it and vice versa. So they, they would storyboard it and they look like these beautiful, you know, manga like things. And then we do animatics and a lot of the, you know, sort of early tweaking is in that animatic stage to get the flow and pacing of it. And when we recorded the voices really early, much earlier than we normally would on a show. Um, and we actually filmed the actors speaking so the animators could, you know, get the best possible sort of lip syncing to the thing because you have these guys they don't, you know, English isn't their natural language, so but they can match it accordingly. You know, we want because we wanted to make this as detailed and realistic as possible, and um, so the, like I said, the majority of it uh, of the whole animation process was in Japan. Like I live on Japan time. The, the post-production we're doing here in L.A. So when they're done with the animation, come back, and then I go to Paramount, uh, Technicolor, on the stage where they do a lot of the live-action features and work with the team there and, and, and do the, the sound. And the music is done here. We have a great composer named Alexander Bornstein who's absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, he and I work really closely together on that stuff. And, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's a... In terms of the animation, it's a pure Japanese production, and and it's great lineage with the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think, you know, like I think the show starts off at a really high level, animation-wise, thanks to these guys. And then as the trilogy keeps going, it just goes like that. Like it just wow. they keep doing things. Like it's it's. I'm not joking. When you get these, you know, I wake up to an email like you know hey please look at this episode the animation for this episode and it's like christmas it's literally like absolute christmas watching these things come to life and you know it's it, it blows my mind what these guys are doing that's awesome, awesome. super important that's question does prime keep his face plate on for the whole time throughout yes. the show yes okay <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's that's, that's just a pet that's, peeve of mine he has yeah. to have the face plate <laughs> serious yeah. point of contention for charles yeah 
I'm glad I can answer the super, like when he said super important question, I said, oh shit, I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> you know, so I'm glad I could answer it. Yeah, so, I mean, again, uh, it's, 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 you know, I, we didn't want to take liberties with the show for the sake of taking liberties. We, we try to approach it from, especially with the writers who are all fans and, you know, there are writers, you know, in the later seasons that come in that have an affinity for this that people are going to be really excited about. Um, you know, our voice director, this guy named Phil Bach, he said it best when he was, you know, when we started the process of recording the voices and casting the show. He said the way to approach the show, he was telling the actors this, and I realized this was the approach to everybody on the creative side, was... Remember when you first saw it as a kid and how serious you took it? Like how it was the most important thing. And, you know, when Optimus died in the movie, like you felt it and you felt the grief for it. Like, what, how do you take that feeling and apply it now? Like, how do, you, how do you apply that seriousness now? So we're not playing it for nostalgia, but that, that feeling that you had when you first saw it, that made you love it. You know, that that's literally from me to the writers to matt to everybody involved with them that was always the approach to it was what made you love it and what was that emotional hook of it and and to treat it seriously you know it's 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 visually it's a dark show but it's not a dark show if that makes sense it's like there's the optimism and hope of transformers and it's the good and evil of transformers but we're trying to do it in a sophisticated way like you know, it's not like Prime Wars where it was like, you know, let's do all these different things with it, et cetera. Let's, 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 you know, this is, let's really pay attention to the continuity and what's really going on with the toy line because Hasbro knows, obviously they know what the hell they're doing in terms of the audience and the toys and all that stuff. But how do we make that three-dimensional? And to, to the point we talked about before, how can somebody who's never seen it before get that emotional feeling of like, man, I hope these, you know, I hope they, they win or whichever side you choose, you know, we, you know, that it's compelling and it's just not, you know, the big thing. And I said this on another interview recently is what I never want it to be is just me sitting there with two toys, making them fight. You know, you could, the, the, the history of the franchise already gives you the beauty of transformation like they're this this dude transforms into a truck this guy transforms into a tank you know what i mean like how cool is that right like but how do you make that so you've already given me what makes it cool how do we make it mean something in the story and the characters etc that's ultimately the most important thing is i'm more proud of the emotional stuff in it and the character stuff than I am the action. Because to me, the action's the bread and butter. It comes easy. You know, you can see in the trailer, it's great action. But I knew it was going to be great action because I had really good writers and I had a really good director who is going to sit there and frame that action in a really cool way. And, you know, and I think especially as the series keeps going, especially Siege, you know, when we get into sort of the climax of it, the action is so jaw-dropping. Like, there's some big moments in it where I was just like, you know, there's a couple of moments where you get the animation and you're like, oh, they did it. <laughs> you know, like they, they really did it, you know, like, and you're feeling the emotion of it, but that's a testament to everybody 
I was talking about the actors, the voice director, the writers, everybody's just on this. And this isn't BS. This isn't like, oh, I'm going to give you some Hollywood BS thing. It's, it's literally the only experience in my life where everybody creatively involved in it, from Netflix to Hasbro Rooster Teeth and to, to my whole team is sitting there going, we know what this is because we love it. And this speaks to us in a way, you know, other iterations of Transformers have or haven't before. So that's really the part that we're excited about. That's really awesome. great to hear. Mm -hmm. So uh, we know it's already been announced that Siege has six episodes. And of course, you know, being fans, we always want more. So any chance for like the next two seasons, will it'll get a bit longer, like 10 or 13 episodes for the, for the other two? It's just, yeah. just six for each one? Six, six, and six. Okay. All right. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I mean, that's not really, I, I think I did it. I think that's the public, but that's okay. Yeah. Okay. But I, trust me, it works. Like Netflix knows what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we talked a lot about it in the beginning of how many episodes and, you know, with the six episodes, especially siege, because the siege is interesting because you don't realize it, but well, you, you, have, you have to see it is it's all sort of in real time. So it's like these six episodes are just like one continuous story. So it's not like, oh, they stop for breakfast or, you know, like the one episode ends with the sunrise and they go, oh, we'll beat the Decepticons tomorrow. You know, there's none of that. It's just sort of like you hit the ground running with this and, and it just goes and it's a roller coaster. So essentially uh, it's, it's made to binge all together. Exactly. The, the, the whole idea, and I didn't realize this till we had written the first season, was – we wrote it to be binged. Like we didn't write it to be weekly episodic television. We wrote it to be, it's six chapters of one big story. It's almost like a movie to a degree. Mm -hmm. And, but we use that to our benefit, you know, where it's like, that gives us the time to, like I was talking about earlier, set the stage in the early, you know, sort of, moments of the show of who these characters are, what's going on, what's the motivation, what's the, the plot, etc. And it allows us to keep going really, really quickly. Yep. If you breeze through it, trust me, when you watch it, you're just like, you're, like, you're just going to be like, I gotta watch it. it, it it's yeah. like, it, it's very addictive as it keeps going because we also sit there and like, you know, I come from a comic book background. So it's always like, how do you end on that splash page that makes somebody go, I got to see what happens next? Like that, a lot of effort went into that, like where each episode ends, where it's like, wait, what's that? Like, I, I got to watch the next one. Mm -hmm. That was always my intention. <laughs> well, we know it's, it might be jumping the gun a little bit, but uh, any hints for, uh, for the next War for Cybertron chapter, Earthrise? Uh, I mean, it's... No. <laughs> it's, right. i can tell you it's really good i can tell you that um no i mean again i would say this follow the toys if you follow the yeah. toys you get an idea because i don't think there's ever been a, a show as closely aligned with the toys in this franchise as much as this like wow. i and, and i'm saying that meaning Hasbro and our team interact very closely on. So the Earthrise toys are out, right? 
the, some uh, of them. Yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah. So, a lot yeah. Of them like, now, like, yeah. like the visual aspects of it, all that stuff. Like, we, you know, we study all that stuff. Like we, we study the color schemes of the, the toy packaging and, you know, et cetera. And, and at a certain point, because we were far ahead, they're studying what we're doing. So, you know, like, like I said, they're super collaborative and super, they're great partner to have like that because they give you the creative leeway and they they support what you're doing and what you know and vice versa hang on one second sorry my dog i was worried about my dog for a second um the um because i'm on a floor and there's like a stairway here and she's old um so yeah i think we're in good shape in terms of where Earth rises, I think people will like it once they once you see siege, it'll be obvious. Okay, this is what Earth rises, mm-hmm. or and then we'll throw the curveballs that you'll never expect. <laughs> so, um, have you uh, you mentioned uh, like one of your writers also wrote for Cyberverse? Have you had a chance to check out the Cyberverse cartoon? Uh, yeah, do you have any yeah. thoughts on that? Well. I think it's fun for little kids. You know what I mean? I think Hasbro is really smart in terms of um, how they Hasbro understands their audience and does each line accordingly. And it's really, really smart. And we, to be quite honest, we watched and read a lot of Cyberverse when we were doing this because, you know, and the advantage of having Gavin being on both shows is, there are ways to align and there are pitfalls to avoid, meaning like, oh, in Cyberverse, they did this and, you know, OK, let's do this or they did this. Let's do our version of this because it's an important moment in Transformers history. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there are ways to. Sorry, I'm getting the dog now. Um, we, um, you know, there are ways to do that. And I, I think it's a lot of fun. Like it gave me a lot of ideas like. Oh, they have a lot of female bots over here and stuff like that. We we need that, or we need, or here's our version of the AllSpark. You know, what is their version of the AllSpark? You know, because that's a big thing for Hasbro in the current continuity. How you incorporate that into the the generations line. So yeah, I think I think they did a great job on Cyberverse. Yeah, that that we were really pleasantly surprised with uh, with Cyberverse. We were a little bit skeptical since they had it was sh- the format was shortened down to a, you know like a twelve minute twelve minute episodes. But uh, when we we watched it, we were really pleasantly surprised and have enjoyed all three seasons. So uh, yeah, we're happy to hear that uh, that you know you were able to you know take some see so, some commonalities and, and do some things different too. So yeah. That's well, awesome. we took some actors from it too. Oh really? Oh, okay. So, um, which I, we have the same optimist, Jake, okay. Jake Fouché is this, it's the same optimist. Okay. Um, I didn't realize that. Yeah. It's, I mean, he's going to sound a little different in ours cause you know, it's not a kid show like Cyberverse. Was a kid show, a little kid show. Mm-hmm. Um, but we hired Jake, you know, Hasbro said to us, "Oh, you should listen to Jake. He's really good, and uh, and Jake's a great guy." And, uh, uh, and there's there's a couple of actors I think we we that have some crossover. Maybe not the same characters, but there were some actors in Cyberverse that we were like, "Oh, they're good. Let's bring them over to our stuff, even if they're, it's not the same character, etc." So it's uh you know, I like that personally, like a brand consistency to it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, how to how to use it there, like and make Jake the modern Optimus or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, and he was just really good at Optimus, and he can emote really well and all that. But I mean, I dig Cyberverse a lot. Nice. Uh, just to, um, we're, I think we're, we're coming close to the end here that we've, we've had you on for a while, so we don't want to take up too much of your time, but, uh, uh, you did mention how you, you know, you had started with the, um, with the previous shows, the Prime Wars trilogies, uh, and it sounds like with the, um, with the Netflix show, you've, you've had a lot more creative freedom. Was there, were there any other major differences between working on, uh, on those previous shows and the Netflix show? Yeah, I mean, it's a completely different thing. I mean, I, I didn't start as the showrunner on uh, Prime Wars. So in terms of its creative approach, et cetera, the, the, I, the, I had, you know, that that's not, I didn't start it from scratch. You know, I wrote mm-hmm. some stuff and there was a showrunner who, you know, sort of took the lead on that, very much what I do now on this. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a completely different thing. I mean... Again, you're talking about the short form episodes. It's a very different storytelling format when you're doing 10, 10 minute episodes versus six 22 minute episodes in a different animation style. And, you know, and, and, and basically being able to start it from scratch. You know, like yeah. I said, I think Prime Wars for me, when I came back into it as a showrunner, you know, at the tail end of Titans and, you know, and really the only one, um, I really got to have some say over was the last one, but even that was developed to a certain degree by the time I got involved uh, or came back to it um, because I was too busy working on Titans. And um, uh, like I said, it was more like a graduate school experience of what lessons are good, good and bad. We learned from that experience and applied it to war for Cybertron and you know, it's a fresh slate because you're doing a different era. It's not sequel to it, et cetera. It's, they're very much two very, very distinctly different things, creatively, visually, et cetera. Whereas there was an approach to replicate G1 in some significant level in Prime Wars. This is very much what we're doing War for Cybertron is G1 inspired. But also in my mind, it's the prequel to G1. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so whereas I think Prime Wars was considered, you know, post G1, way down the line kind of thing. And, uh, um, you know, we got some good actors out of it. We learned, like I said, a lot of lessons and it, it got us the trust of Hasbro, which is the most important thing that they're, look, this is a coming up in a few years, it'll be 40 years of a billion dollar franchise, multi-billion dollar franchise. Like, you know, some days I wake up sort of, you have to remind yourself like the responsibility of that, you know, it can't make it about you. It has to be about what's best for the franchise and best for the show. And, and how do you approach it from the fan point of view? You know, how do you, how do you, and I think that's what was missing in prime wars was like, you have to really approach it from the, fan point of view and the brand point of view and how to, or the more, you know, in the beginning creatively of what has was doing, the more you organically put that into the show, as opposed to making just a commercial for toys. I, I, I give you a funny story is obviously you guys know who Flint Dilly is. Yeah. And so 
before the lockdown, Flint came to my office and I showed him the first couple episodes of this. And because, you know, we, we had met a bunch of times. We had a mutual friend in, in the legendary Frank Miller. So we knew each other casually for a long time. But then, you know, thanks to Hasbro, it was like they reconnected us. And he came and he was just sitting there going, I can't believe this. Like, he's, I can't believe, you know, he goes, when we were doing these shows, he goes, he said, he goes, I feel sorry for you guys. And I said, why? He said, because you're stuck with what we did 30 years ago. We didn't know people <laughs> were still going to be watching it 30, 35 years later. He goes, you have to remember when we were doing it, there was no cable. There was no, um, there wasn't even VHS yet. You know, we thought they'd run a few times on networks and never be seen again. And now you have a whole generation that's growing up with it, takes it so seriously. He's like, I, I feel like, you know, a responsibility towards you, you know, and you've done this. And he was pointing at the screen and I was really moved by it. And he was saying, like, you know, you've taken what we did and, and kept it going. And I said, okay, my dream in 30 years is to be what Flint was to me that week. Somebody else is going to be inspired by what we're doing. But like, you know, so just so you understand the lineage of this is very, very important to everybody involved with it. We take it very you know, just as serious as you guys take it as collectors and fans, you know, we're fans too. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to handle in a good way. Like you're sitting there, there are days when I say I wake up and I pinch myself with the responsibility of it, but how lucky can you be to be involved with this? It's nuts. Right. Like, like I'm sitting there, like I, like I drove to Walmart in the COVID just to get those Netflix figures, you know what I mean? <laughs> to have them in my house. Like, I wasn't going to wait for Hasbro to send them to me. It's like, well, we sat there and, you know, like we control the destiny of this, whoever the character was I was holding at the time. Like, like we take that very, very seriously. You know, we're the first generation of franchise fans when you really think about it. Right. So kids of the eighties were the first time, like, but the people who were creating those things in the 80s weren't thinking that. They were just coming up with cool stuff, right? Now it's our responsibility because we know this stuff's going to last through the ages and you live and die by that. You know what I mean? Like, So that's why you know, I'm really excited for War for Cybertron because I feel like, I feel like we got the, all the elements into place that satisfy what you guys want, what we want you know, what Hasbro wants, you know, it, it just, just, let's just make a good show that is in the spirit of Transformers. And hopefully people will understand that. And I know people are going to, you know, Oh, it's not the voices. It's this and that it's, it's very much, you know, what I always want is people to understand that we're aware of the responsibility of it versus yeah. this isn't just some job you got and you're going to make a cartoon. Yeah. That's great. Um, uh, just a, a couple uh, final questions since uh, we know you have a, a background in music. So you mentioned, uh, you know, you were uh, uh, working with the, the composer, did the music on the on the, the show soundtrack. Did you have any input on that or were you able to contribute at all to that? Well, I don't play anything on it. But the, the, the good thing is um, I can speak to the composer on a musical level, which okay. is which I never thought my music background would actually be this helpful. And the advantage of coming from an electronic music background is um, 
that the music is synth heavy and it's, it's a combination of synth and orchestra um, that sort of takes, you know, that eight, it's not eighties by any stretch of the imagination. It's very contemporary, but it's like, how do you take those elements of transformers music, which has always been electronic, always been, et cetera, and add that sort of grandiose orchestral feel of cinema in general. Um, so Alex and I had a lot of conversations in advance about sort of the musical palette for each chapter, you know, so each one's going to have, it's consistent, but each chapter will have its unique flavor to it. You know, for this, obviously it's war, it's, it's military, it's et cetera. And he did a really good job early on where he created three themes. I think one of the themes is used in the teaser trailer. Um, he did one that was an Autobot theme. One was Decepticon theme. The other one was just, Cybertron theme, like what's the theme of the planet? What's the theme of the world? And when we see like a city shot, what would that music be like? And we worked really hard on that together. And Alex and I, Alex is probably, the music is probably, I'm not joking, the easiest part of the whole show. Because like Alex got it right away. And when he comes to the office and we sort of spot check, we'll do a couple episodes at a time. And we'll talk about the emotion of the scene, like, oh, this moment is this. And I always keep sort of my Spotify open because we're always referencing classic soundtracks from John Williams stuff to, you know, uh, everybody, you know, Blade Runner soundtrack, Evangelist, all this stuff. So um, the funny thing is I'll hear him do some synth stuff and then I'll end up buying whatever plugins he's using and stuff like that and use it for myself. Um <laughs> So we can nerd out over the, and I think he likes that, that I can speak in a technical aspect. Like, oh, if we go a couple octaves up here, you know, before the bridge and all that stuff, and we can talk about that. Um, and we click really easily. There's very few notes I have to give him on it. Um, he, he's a really brilliant guy. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think people will dig the soundtrack because it's, it's a right combination of what modern Transformers should be. A little bit of synth, a little bit of orchestra. And it depends on the moment. Like so, some some moments will be pure synth. Some and um, and Alex also brought in, uh, you know, in this day and age, a lot of these composers do everything themselves on the computer and stuff like that. And um, but Alex has gone the extra step, and we have some string players and guitarists and stuff like that to really take those moments and make them bigger. Was Tron Legacy cool. in that list of soundtracks? Yeah, uh -huh. awesome. absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. There, early on, we I had to, you know, they had to stop me from going to Tron Legacy, but it's 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 definitely a definitely a template. Cool. Daryl, I'm going to throw this to you because you just came up with this question. So go ahead. Oh sure. <clears throat> was he like sneaky typing questions to you? I was. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to look like an asshole if I uh, if I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, the um, the 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 Transformers trading card game actually has added a really new aspect to uh, Transformers recently, and um, it's providing a, a a look into the future of Transformers and perhaps the show Siege. What can you tell us about Mercenaries? 
I can't tell you anything about the movie. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. No? Okay, all right. All I've right. never heard of the Mercenaries. It's not like they have the coolest logo I've ever seen in Transformers <laughs> and I want it on a t-shirt, but I don't know a damn thing about the Mercenaries. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I guess uh, I think uh, you know we're 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 really we're really waiting with bated breath now for this show. We yeah. we gotta we gotta have this show hurry up and come out. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you got the mercenaries question in. <laughs> oh boy! I just I just I just thought about it. I was like, wait a minute, we're missing something on this, and I I got I had to get it in before the end. <laughs> oh well. Um- I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we'll all learn what's, about it together. Uh, what's this? Uh, what do you got on that shirt there? Anything? <laughs> <laughs> nope, I got nothing. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think we'll our uh, our last uh, like main question, and and this uh, this is near and dear to us because we have a mutual friend in uh, Jimmers at Distortion Productions. My brother. So, uh, yeah. So. Uh, I wanted to know: Have you contributed to his Electronic Saviors uh, yeah. project? Uh-huh. Oh, cool! Yeah, so the one that just came out the other day. I have a band called Trade Secrets, and uh, we have a track on on the one that just came out, literally the other day. Nice. And, uh, I've done the. I've done. He's done six of them, right? Yeah. And I've been on five of them. Oh, so wow. my previous band was a band called Hype Factor. So I was on that, and then. We, I think I did, Hype Factor was on three of them, the first three, I think. Then we missed a year, and then I had the new band, Trade Secrets, and that's been on the last two. And as a, you know, like, so it's bizarre because, you know, obviously it means a lot to me to be on that. You know, when I started doing them for him, I was doing it as his friend was supporting him, and he had gone through this terrible thing. Um, and then when we got to the second one, my mom had cancer and subsequently passed away. So then it took on a different meaning and then I got cancer and then it took on a whole different thing because Jim, you know, Jim during all that, when I was sick was a wonderful, uh, you know, sounding board and confidant because I wasn't public about it. You know, I didn't want Facebook. I don't want to put chemo Facebook updates, you know, stuff like that. But Jim was one of the few people I could talk to because we literally had the same cancer, colon cancer. Um, So what I sort of love is now we get to the sixth one where we're both survivors of it. You know, now I've been I've been clean about three years or four years, almost four years. And um, so it it takes on a a real um, three years, the real special uh, thing to be a part of his, uh, his dream because he's, you know, given so much of his life to that and, and given back so much to it. Uh, I think he's one of the, the, the truest and most genuine human beings I've ever met in my life. And that was before I got sick and, you know, it just bonded us in such a bizarre way that, you know, you take those little victories of a great checkup or, you know, a scan comes back good and, you know, and and then even just contributing songs to this, you know, to his series is 
you know, has such an emotional context for me for it. Um, yeah, I love him like a brother. He's, he's just, like I said, one of the best people I've ever met in my life. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm sure people listening to this know what, what an insane Transformers fan he is. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I love talking to him about it. I, you know, he's, he's somebody I can, you know, have those sort of like, he's a, he's a great sounding board for when I have ideas and things like that. And I trust him implicitly on, on probably every um level humanly possible i love the guy yeah i know yeah. he's not doing the the big compilations after this one but he's going to continue with things like the um uh, the respect the prime that he's been putting out the transformers themed are, are you going to contribute to those when like the future ones i think that me doing the transformers themes are a little it's a little on the nose yeah. um <laughs> but i i have a record um, I have an EP he's putting out July 10th. It's going to come out. Trade Secrets EPs, July 10th. Um, so I just finished that. And uh, But yeah, like I, you know, I, 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 just, I just think what he does for fandom on both ends is just absolutely incredible. He's, he's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, Jim, we, Jim we love the guy. Yeah. yeah, he's the best. Well, um, I, I hope you'll you'll indulge us for just a couple more minutes. We have we like to end our interviews with a, a set of rapid fire questions. So Hit these would be pretty quick. Uh, they're just kind of either or, you know, first thing that comes into your head, uh, and you know, we'll just go through them and and see what kind of fan you are. I'm ready. All right, all right. So here we go. Rapid fire. Autobot or Decepticon? Autobot. Or mercenary. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Because that was the first. Well, anyway, no, no, no. Nope. <laughs> who is uh, who is your favorite Autobot? My favorite Autobot. That's a good question. Who is my favorite Autobot? Right now, it's Alita One. She's my favorite Autobot. Cool. And you'll understand why soon. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> All right, uh, Transformers live action movie one two three four five or Bumblebee. Anyone Aaron Kruger wrote because he's my college roommate. <laughs> okay, uh, IDW comics uh, more than meets the eye, robots in disguise till all are one or the newest Transformers one that just uh, they just rebooted. I'm strictly Marvel guy. I don't know enough of the IDW stuff. You know, I just bought, by the way, I just bought, this is more for fun than anything. I just bought the entire run of Marvel's Generation 2. Oh, nice. Yeah. Which is nuts. Like, like what in the hell was that? Oh, it's my bonkers. God. Oh, yeah. my God. It's the darkest. It's like, it's literally Zack Snyder's Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just um, was sorting some comics over the weekend and showed my kid issue one kind of flipped it open i'm like oh this might be a little bit too much for a five-year-old to see <laughs> it's nuts dude it's nuts yeah we're big fans of the marvel comics too and and simon Furman and bob budiansky those guys are are awesome oh they're legends i bought um matt my producer i bought him a um the original number one as a thank you gift for working on the show i got a i got like a 9.8 version of with the original Bill Sienkiewicz cover and all that stuff. And 
it disappeared from the office. He's like, I'm not leaving in the office. I'm hanging in my house. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, third party toys. Yes or no? No. All right. Cats or dogs? Dogs. <laughs> She's Obviously. here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Tea. Lots of it. <laughs> All day. Chicken or, <laughs> chicken or steak? If it's chicken fingers, we're in. All right. Pepsi or Coke? Neither. Tea all day. All right. Uh, Burger King or McDonald's? Wendy's. Ah, cool. History or science? Science history. (laughs) (laughs) Xbox, PlayStation, or Nintendo Switch? Uh, PlayStation. All right. Uh, PC or Mac? Mac, always. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Is there a phone app that you cannot live without? Is there a phone app that I can't live without? It's probably either Spotify or iTunes because I can't live without music. Nice. Uh, Marvel or DC? DC. I was a DC kid. (laughs) You're one of the few. Jeremy's happy. Yeah. (laughs) Almost, I saw him cheer. Yeah, almost everyone is Marvel on that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who's, your, who's, your, who's your favorite DC character? Dick Grayson. Yes. My oh. all-time favorite character. Cool. Stallone or Schwarzenegger? Stallone. Pixar or DreamWorks? Pixar. Uh, is there a guilty pleasure movie that you'll always watch whenever it comes on, whenever you see it? Yes, and that movie, there's a couple. Hudson Hawk is one. Oh. Um, Step Brothers is another. TV-wise, uh, Eastbound and Down, which is my favorite television show of all time, <laughs> which I can't not watch. So the, mostly comedies. Like, a lot of my guilty pleasures are all comedies. Cool. <laughs> I'm alive, Brandon. I'm alive. <laughs> That's my favorite. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love Trek, but Star Wars always first. Nice. Uh, Simpsons, Family Guy, or Rick and Morty? Rick and Morty, without a doubt. Rick and Morty. Nice. Uh, this 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 is a bit dated. Uh, Walking Dead or Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. All right, and uh, there's no sports going on these days, but uh, NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, or UFC? None. Premier League soccer in England, which starts back tomorrow. So I have something to look forward to. Cool. Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, or VW Beetle? Well, I drive a VW, so (laughs) not a Beetle, but I have a VW. And my parents' first car was a VW Beetle when I was a baby. Wow. So I'm, oh. partial, I'm partial to it. So for <laughs> nostalgia reasons, I'll go with the VW Beetle. All right. Uh, last question. Blonde, brunette, or redhead? Brunette. <laughs> All right. That is the rapid-fire question gauntlet. Thank you so much for indulging us. <laughs> oh, it's, it's fun. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so I think uh, I think that that takes us to the end of the interview. But thanks so much for for all the time you spent with us. 
Uh, we are really excited for War for Cybertron Siege, uh, and as soon as it comes out, we'll we will uh, want to have you back on after the show's out. Maybe do a post mortem and and talk about all the things you couldn't talk about right now. <laughs> and then tease us with more uh, stuff you can't talk about. Yeah, I, I yeah we'll get all the spoilers for Earthrise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the 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 problem is there's always gonna be something I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, FJ. For, thank you, for guys. This is wonderful. And thank you for everybody for listening to me ramble on and on. <laughs> I think it will do a lot of good with people understanding the, the love that the entire creative team has for the source material. Yeah. Yep. Good. Good, good, good. All right, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this. And, and be sure to catch War for Cybertron Siege on Netflix coming very soon. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Later. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Transmissions. But just because this episode is over doesn't mean the Transformers fun has to stop. Join us and other Transformers fans on our Discord chat server by visiting transmissionspodcast.com slash discord. If you would like to learn more about how you could support the Transmissions podcast, just visit transmissionspodcast.com slash support. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you again next week. 